Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. Uh, I was out for the last couple weeks because uh, we got blessed with, uh, or at least my son uh, a couple weeks ago was uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. And um, so then that day, that was actually on a Thursday morning, we're getting prepared to preach and have our last gathering of Abide, uh, or the week before the last gathering of our Abide series. And then calling Pastor David and be like, hey, get ready to preach. And then a few hours later, I started having some of the same symptoms and fever and those kinds of things. And then I was like, all right, you got like four hours to prepare a message. And so he did a great job standing in and uh, preaching. Yeah, give it up for him. Um, and people have asked how we're doing. We're doing great. And I have no idea if I had the virus or not, because it's one of those things that by the time I got tested, it was a negative. So I was like, I don't know if it's that or if it's, it's just sympathy pain, right? Or all, I had all the same symptoms. It's like when uh, my wife, Lindsay, was pregnant with Jackson, I got all the same sympathy weight with her. I just try to be a good partner, right? And um, so I don't know what it was, but praise God, we're better and doing good. And we're excited about today because we are jumping into the gospel according to John. And I've been wanting to preach through, yeah, you can clap for that, all right? Um, I've been wanting to preach through this for quite some time. In fact, uh, earlier, I, I thought we would do this last year, because if you were around last year in 2020, we kicked off the year uh, like we normally do in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we talked about the idea of uh, having integrity or being a person of integrity and being integrated, you know, 2020, being the type of people that are the same no matter where they are. And my idea or my thought process was what better thing to do than to look at Jesus, who was the most, uh, the person with the most integrity that has ever lived. And so when we finished up Romans last year, I had every intention of jumping into the gospel of John, but then, you know, 2020 changed up everything. And so we talked about uh, belief and we talked about welcome to the wrestle. And then we went through the book of Micah, which was great. And all those are uh, online. You can go back and look at those. But then coming into 2021 and coming out of Abide this year, I'm like, all right, now is the time to get into the gospel of John. Because not only do we need to know that Jesus is the person of integrity that we should follow, but we need to believe in him. And so in Abide, we talked about abiding in Jesus. We talked about remaining in Jesus. And so now what we're going to do, and this is probably going to take us, uh, well, it'll take us at least through 2021 and probably through the majority of 2022, we're going to study this person, this Jesus that we talk a lot about around here to, to know who it is that we're abiding in. And so we're going to be just preaching through the gospel of John. And so really, really excited about that because uh, the gospel of John is arguably, I mean, you know, every verse in the Bible is inspired and is great. But if you want to know the basics of the gospel, John's probably the best book to read. Because John, in fact, if anybody's a new believer or somebody asks me, hey, if I want to read the Bible, where do I start? I'd say, don't start in Genesis, start in John. Because Genesis is cool, then you get into Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and you're like, what the heck am I reading, right? Because you're getting into Old Testament law and all those kinds of things, because obviously that was referring to Israel as a nation. But when you get into just the basics, if you want to understand what the Bible, what life is all about, John is arguably the greatest book to read. For a lot of reasons that I'm going to tell you now before we actually jump into the text. But the Gospel of John was written by John, obviously, 
And John is going to refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved because they have a unique relationship. And what's unique about John, several different things. First is John, and you have to remember, there's multiple Johns, all right? There's the Gospel of John, the, the Apostle John, and then there's John the Baptist, and you're going to see both of them in chapter one. We're going to deal all of that today. But the Apostle John was Jesus's first cousin. John's mother and Jesus's mother were sisters. And so you got James and John, who were brothers, the sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, and their mother named Mary Salome which she also follows Jesus, and you get different glimpses of that. Not a lot of information, but John obviously grew up with Jesus. Now, just in case it wasn't confusing enough, you have John the Baptist, who was also the second cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist's mother and Jesus's mother's mother was first cousins, so now they're second cousins. But John has a unique viewpoint into the life of Jesus. Long before he ever knew who Jesus ultimately was, he was God, he was just his cousin. And so he's, he's intimately knowledgeable about who Jesus is. And so the gospel of John, of the four gospels, because we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel of John is rather unique. In fact, 90% of the information in the Gospel of John is not in the other Gospels. So you get a whole different viewpoint from the Gospel of John. 90% of the information is unique to John. A lot of the miracles are unique to John. A lot of the I am statements, or all of the I am statements, are unique to John. And so you get this viewpoint into the life of Jesus from someone who obviously knew who Jesus was, spent his entire life with Jesus, and then now comes to believe in Jesus. And so John is such a unique eyewitness account, and what you're going to see in the Gospel of John is not John's opinion. It's not, you know, we have really gotten confused today on what actual journalism is, because journalism isn't opinions, it is news. It is, and that's what the word gospel means. It just means good news. And so you're not going to get John's opinion about who Jesus is. You're going to get John reciting who Jesus said he was. And then John's reaction in that, I saw him. I saw him do all these miracles. I heard him say all these things. And so John of the four gospel writers is the romantic one. He is the one who's going to slow down and give you the accounts of what happened. He's going to give you the insider knowledge. It's a little bit different than the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and that is Peter's account. And Peter was a man of action, if you know anything about him. And so the Gospel of Mark just opens up with Jesus getting to work. And so it's fast-paced, it's hard-hitting well, John is the romantic one. He's not a fighter, he's a lover, right? Which is why he refers to himself all the time as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, it doesn't mean because you know, they had the reference of uh, they were sons of thunder because they used to be like that. 
In fact, early on, you'll see this in the book, early on, John and his brother James are wanting to call down fire on some folks, but Jesus changes him and he comes to understand. And so John's purpose, if you will, in writing this gospel is for you to understand in the same way about who Jesus is. And we're going to start in John chapter one, but before we get there, I want to give you, out of John's own mouth, the purpose of why he wrote the gospel. It's in John chapter 20. You saw it on the screen earlier. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now listen to what John says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. Everybody say believe. Let's try that again. So that you may what? Believe, thank you. If you're watching online, Revolution Online, I'd like for you to talk back to me only when I ask though, all right? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Let's try those two words, have life. That by believing you may what? Have life in his name. So I bolded those and all caps them because those two phrases sum up the book. Believe Jesus, have life. Believe Jesus, have life. So that's the two-part purpose of the Gospel of John. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. The two-part purpose is believe Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, have life in him. Believe, have life. Now, this idea of this word believe that John uses there in John chapter 20, and we did this before if you were here, uh, I, I believe in last year or maybe the year before was we were teaching through the book of Romans and I talked to you about this word believe. It's the Greek word pistuo, and it means to believe in. It's not believe that. And the idea of this is to place your trust in. And the reason why that is so important is because there's a lot of people, especially in America, that was kind of pseudo-Christian in that the Bible informed a lot of our foundation as a country. It doesn't mean that everybody was a believer, but it definitely was marked and shaped by it. And so in our country, there's a lot of people who just have this kind of general belief in a God or in the word or in Jesus. And so there's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus lived. Well, that's not pastuo. That's not believing in. And the example that I gave was an example I got from my friend that I thought was so good. It was the idea of when you were a young child or maybe you are a young child. And if you ever went swimming with your parents, you would invariably have a mom or a dad. A lot of times your dad will be in the water and you're on the edge and they're trying to get you to swim, but you're, you know, as a child, you don't understand all of that. And so on the ground, you're level, you got confidence in the water, you don't, you sink, right? And so this, this, your parents almost always would be in the water and say, jump. Well, you could stand on the side of the pool and say, I believe that is my dad. That middle-aged balding man with the dad bod, that is my dad. I believe that but that's not pastuo. Believing in your dad or in your mom is when you actually leave the edge and jump and you actually trust 
you will be caught. That's pastuo. And so there's a lot of people who generally or generically believe that Jesus was a historical person, that he lived, that he did some stuff. But very few people actually pastuo, actually believe in, trust, jump, saying, if you don't catch me, I'm going down. Well, that's the idea of what John's saying here. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to believe that just Jesus did some stuff. I don't want you to just believe that Jesus existed. I want you to believe in him. And here's the defining characteristic of if you believe in him or if you don't, you will have life. See, there's a lot of people who believe that Jesus existed, but they're dead. They don't have life. They're not alive, as we're going to see John describe multiple times throughout this gospel. To have the Son is to have life. So as we embark in this journey for the next year and a half to almost two years, I want you to understand that the whole point of why we're doing this is because I want you to have life. To have it to the full, as Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And the reason why that's so important to understand is because a lot of people don't understand what God's purpose was in creating them or in everything that is going on. God wants you to have life. That's why he made you not just physical life, not just breath, but spiritual life. All right, now let's go John chapter one. So we're just going to do the first five verses today. In fact, I think we got like seven weeks in John chapter one, because we're just going to walk through this kind of systematically for you to understand, again, the purpose, and I'll say this probably no less than a hundred times, believe, have life. Now, here's what's really cool. In the first five verses of John chapter one, you're going to see those two purposes. In verses one through three, believe Jesus is the Christ. Verses four and five, life. So those two purposes frame out the first five verses of the Bible. Or not of the Bible, it'd be Genesis one, of the Gospel of John. And so if you have your Bible with you, you might even want to bracket those. Like verses one through three, believe Jesus is the Christ. Verses four and five, have life. So let's go verses one through three of John chapter one. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, that doesn't translate well into English, but it's great theology, and I'll explain why in just a second. So first off the gate here, John wants you to know who Jesus is. Now, what's interesting about the Gospel of John, it's one of the two Gospels that does not have the birth account of Jesus. And when I say the birth account, I mean the physical birth. Jesus, born of a virgin named Mary in the town of Bethlehem. The Gospel of John doesn't have that. The Gospel of Mark doesn't have that. Now, the Gospel of Mark doesn't have it because it starts at Jesus's, John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism because man of action, Peter, just here's what you need to know. But John doesn't have it, not because he's quick to move on into the ministry of Jesus. John doesn't have it because he wants to go further back than his physical birth. 
He, he wants to show you something about this Jesus, not just that he was a historical figure, not just that he lived, not just that he had a mother named Mary and a you know, father named Joseph, not just that he lived in these places and did these things. He wants you to know something right out of the gate about who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Now, here's what's crazy to me, and here's why I love this account from the Gospel of John. It took John more than three years to know who Jesus was. Again, remember, he's his first cousin. I don't know how you relate to your cousins, but in my family, my cousins, if one of them started doing some miracles and claiming to be God, I'd be like, hold up a second, bro. I know you. I know where you come from. I know your mama. I know your daddy. You're my cousin, man. But but I want you to see this. It took John more than three years to know fully who Jesus was, and he doesn't want you to go more than three verses than to know who Jesus was. He wants you to know right out the bat, yes, he's my first cousin, and he's God. Now, if anybody can believe that someone is God, I will take the account of someone who is their cousin and be like, bro, I know he's my cousin, but trust me. Because if Jesus can convince his cousin, he can convince you. And John wants you to know that. Listen, before he was my cousin, he was God. Before he existed here, he existed. He wants you to go all the way back. Listen, not to the origin of Jesus's physical birth. He wants you to go all the way back to the origin of all things physical. In the beginning. Now, those three words should sound familiar to you if you've ever read your Bible. And for those of you who started a Bible reading plan on January 1, and you've now gotten through Genesis 12 for the hundredth time again, You read those first three verses on January 1st in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Because John wants you to know something. That in the beginning, Jesus was there. And so he uses on purpose the first three words. This Jesus is God and he was there in the beginning. Which means this, he has no beginning. He has always and forever will be the co-eternal God. And now he gives a descriptor. The first thing that he calls him, he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, this is very interesting to me. One is because obviously I love studying words. But think about it. If there was one word that you could use to describe Jesus, would it be the word word? And I'm not trying to Jesus juke you in any way, be like, well, I have to give that answer because that's what John says. No, but what I'm saying is in English, uh, particularly in 21st century American Western thought, the word word in our culture does not have the same meaning as the word word in Greek that John uses here. If you've ever been around the Bible or know anything about this text, the word there is the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S. Now, there's something you need to know about this word, logos, this word, word. We have all been very shaped by Greek philosophical thought. This is why you study it in school. 
You study the philosophers, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, all those people. Wisdom. Because Greek philosophical thought had huge impacts on the world. To this day, we still talk about it. Well, obviously, over 2,000 years ago, it had a huge thought in, in Greek worldview and Jewish worldview. And it's this time that the Romans were in charge, but before that, the Greeks were in charge. And this word here, word or logos, has a huge metaphysical meaning. Let me, let me just give you some definitions of this, and you can do your own Bible word search. Just go to Britannica.com, and you'll see these same things that I'm about to read to you. So why does he choose the word word, logos? Here's how Greeks would have thought about it. A principle originating in classical Greek thought, which refers to, now you got to follow me here, a universal divine reason, an eternal, no, listen to these words, an eternal and unchanging truth present from the time of creation, available to every individual who seeks it. See, Greek thought was all about wisdom, thought, reason. And so they had the idea that you could know this truth that's always existed. I love this one. And this, it's available to everyone who seeks it, and it's ordering the world and giving it form and meaning. The easiest way I can sum it up to you is this. The Logos was the one thing that defines and gives meaning to all other things. So from a philosophical standpoint, and we still do this today, philosophers, scientists still do this today, looking for the thing that's behind all things. Now, from a biblical standpoint, what John is going to argue, the thing behind all things isn't a thing, it's a person. And the person gives rise to matter, gives rise to atoms, gives rise to creation. But an atheistic scientific thought is, no, it's the other way around. Matter gives rise to people. Things or elements or particles give rise. That's why you need billions of years for this process to take part. And so we're looking for things that have now been affectionately called the God particle, like the Higgs boson, when it's this elementary particle that evolves over time and creates life. And so in, in Greek thought, it's this, okay, there's got to be something behind everything. And, and even today, it's like, what is that something? Is it Big Bane? Is it a particle? It, did we all evolve from, you know, soup and tadpoles, and now here we are? And, and I'm not trying to be uh, funny in that sense. What I'm saying is this. The idea of something behind everything is not uniquely Christian. Every person asks it. It's this epistemological thought of like, man, we didn't just get here by accident. So what's the thing behind things? What's the logos? What's the one thing that everything else derives its meaning and purpose and existence. And John wants us to know that the one thing behind all things was Jesus. Now, word. Why word? Logos, meaning. Here's what you need to understand that's unique about Christianity. Biblically speaking, you see this in Genesis chapter 1. The way God accomplishes his will is through his word. 
It says, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void. And then God said, let there be. So God accomplishes his will through his word. And that word is Jesus. And so he says here, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, if you've been around revolution any amount of time, you're going to know the answer to this question. But the question is, was the word with or was the word was? Yes, thank you. It's both. And, and again, this is like, I mean, we're one verse in and John's blowing our minds here. Was he with God or was he God? John's like, yep. He was. Who's on first? Yes. He was and he was with. Now, again, this is where you got to understand, and, and, and please hear me, I'm not trying to be critical of other people's belief systems with what I'm about to say, but I want to be a good pastor, and so I want you to know the differences. Our Mormon brothers and, not, I can't say brothers and sisters, sorry, our Mormons friends and Jehovah's Witness friends and Muslim friends would take issue with this because they would say, in the Greek, there is no definite article when it says, was the God. And they would be correct. There is no definite article. However, what they're saying is, Jesus didn't coexist with God forever. He was made even in a spiritual sense. And so Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, and Muslims would say, he was a God. Mormons in particular would say he was a God and then had his own children. And then one day they will be God and have their own planets and have their own celestial children. I'm not making that up. That is serious. And Jehovah's Witnesses would say, no, 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 no. We don't believe in that kind of stuff. However, we would say Jesus was not co-eternal. The father is different and distinct and existed before Jesus. The only problem with that is the rest of the verses. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him. And this is where I said earlier, it doesn't, make, it doesn't read as well in English, but it's great theology. And without him was not anything made that was made. John wants to emphatically send a message to say, listen, there are two categories, creator and creation. And creation doesn't just refer to physical things. It refers to spiritual things because we know in the Bible, angels, the Elohim, other spiritual beings, God created them before he created us. They were not coexisting with God. They did not exist forever. And so even in the spiritual realm, like the devil, like demons, they did not exist before they had a beginning. And what John wants us to know is Jesus is different from a spiritual standpoint, even from them. Because all things were made through him. Now, does all things mean most things? <laughs> You're smart. Heck no, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean some things? No. So, particularly to a Muslim person, to say that Jesus is on the same level as the Father is blasphemy. And, and, and from a Jewish perspective as well, this is why Jesus got himself killed. You need to know that. Because Jesus claimed to be God. 
And John's like, I seen him. And he was. He was God. And he was with God. You say, how's that? Well, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not in your Bible. You won't find it. Don't do a word search. It's a word that we use now to describe God. Very simply, it's one God, three persons. One God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, please don't give me your analogies because every time I mention the Trinity, people are like, it's like fire, water, ice. Nope. There's nothing on earth that can describe it. Because the, that analogy breaks down because God is not only fire, water, and ice, but he's all three of those at the same time. We can't have all three of those existing at the same time, so the analogy breaks down. Here's what you need to know. God is uniquely other. And we can't understand that. You're like, hold up, is he one or is he three? Yes. And, and, and here's what I want you to hear me say, which is all the smart people who try to figure out all the beginnings. I'm like, listen, if the universe is determined by the gray matter up in your brain, we are in trouble. I want a God. I want a being that is beyond human experience and understanding. And John is saying, that's who Jesus is. He was with God. And he was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And there was not anything made that was made without him. So this Jesus is unique. This is why when you might have a conversation with a Muslim friend or a Mormon friend or a Jehovah's Witness friend, you would say, listen. I don't need your extra books to try to describe to me who Jesus is because this one does the job to let me know he wasn't just a God. He's the God. And this is where, listen to me, Christianity diverges from every other world religion on the planet. And in three verses, John's made that clear. We're not talking about a good man here. We're not talking about a prophet here. We're not talking about a, a, a mystic here. We're not talking about a reincarnated person here. We're talking about God. We're talking about God, and you're going to see in John 1.14 in a few weeks, in the flesh. So John doesn't want you to go three verses without knowing who Jesus is. And this is where I would say to you, I'll stick with Jesus because tell me a better story than this one. Tell me a better story. See, every other religion is man's way to get to God. But Christianity is the only religion that says, no, God came to man. I love how Hebrews 1 says it in one, verses 1 and 2. I have this verse on the screen. The writer of Hebrews says this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and just in case you were confused, through whom he also created the world. He has spoken to us. Remember, God's word is the working of his will. And so what I would say to 
a Muslim person or a, a, a Mormon person particularly because they have books written by prophets that came after Jesus. Muhammad came 600 years after Jesus. Joseph Smith came about 1900 years, 1800 years after Jesus. And they wrote some stuff down. And what I would say to them is, tell me what those dudes, those, oh, those guys wrote that's better than what this guy said. Because Jesus is the final word. That's what Hebrews is saying. He's the final word in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And the writer of Hebrews goes on in Hebrews chapter 12 and he says, and his blood speaks a better word than the word, uh, than the blood of Abel. Now, just a little side note here, again, just showing you how rich this all is. You're like, what in the world do you mean Jesus' blood speaks a better word? We got to know your history in Genesis chapter four, verse 10, after God created man and woman, after he created Adam and Eve, they sin, they fall, then they have kids, Cain and Abel, and then they sin because Cain doesn't like his brothers Abel's, he gets more, he gets more uh, honor from his sacrifice, and so Cain kills Abel, and then Cain tries to hide it, which we'll talk about dark darkness in just a second. God's like, listen, what you do in the dark, I can see. And God makes this comment in Genesis 4.10 when he says, the blood of Abel is crying out to me. Now, what that means is this. The blood that Cain had spilled was crying out to God. And here's what it was saying. It was saying, guilty, guilty, guilty. And now Jesus comes along and the writer of Hebrews and the gospel of John saying, hey, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Because now his blood that was spilled isn't crying out our guilt. It's crying out forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. So tell me a better word than that. There's not one. I don't believe in Jesus because my mama told me and my greasy granny told me because they didn't believe. My, I mean, my mama did. They came to believe. But, but what I'm saying is I, I'm not a pastor or a Christian simply because I'm a Gertis or I'm an American. And there's way too many people that think like that. I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower because I have studied and looked into it. And there is no one like Jesus. There is no one that speaks a better word. And you may be saying, well, man, that's intolerant. No. <laughs> My doctor's not being intolerant when he tells me I have cancer and will die. He's being loving. And all I'm saying to you is study it. And this is, where, and this is why I want you to understand the gospel of John isn't written just to unbelievers. It's written to believers to strengthen your belief. Because there's so many of us that think, Man, I can't share Jesus because I, uh, I don't really know it that much. Well, here's all you need to know. He was God. He came and lived, lived a sinless life, died, rose again. Tell me anybody else that did that. Can't. No other religious leader came out of the grave and is alive now. He's unique. He's different. And he's the final word. Spoken to us by God. So why the word? Why the logos? Because he's the thing behind all things. And why did John, his first cousin, come to believe it? Because he believed his words. He believed his words. And so we're going to study his words. In fact, there's 21 chapters. And I just thought this was really cool. What year are we in? We're in 20. That's cool. 
It's almost like there's a God and God didn't want to do it last year because he wanted to do it this year. So I could stand up here and say a cheesy pastor joke of saying, what do you need most in 2021? You need the 21 chapters in John. You need Jesus. So I want to highly encourage you, read the gospel of John 21 times. Normally I tell people 20 times, but 21 just sounded better. 21 chapters, 2021. So read the gospel of John 21 times and get Jesus in your bones. Especially if you don't believe, get Jesus in your heart. And if you do believe, you can become more in love with Jesus by reading the gospel of John 21 times. Now let's go to the last two verses here, verse four and five. He says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Remember the second purpose I told you wasn't just to believe Jesus, but it's to have life. Believe Jesus, have life. So you see in the first five verses, those two two parts, verse three, believe Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. Verse four and five, in him was life. And so John is making a distinct defining characteristic. And he's saying this, if you want life, you need Jesus. You know, I used to say to teenagers back when I used to be a student pastor for about a decade, I would joke um, that I wasn't going to be the type of student pastor that was just going to plan of a bunch of events for them. Because my job as a pastor of students was not event planner. And so I told him, I said, listen, I'm not going to do a lot of events. And if you grew up in church, you would understand this. Well, I'm not going to take you to, to baseball games and Six Flags. I'm not, that's your parents' job. That ain't my job. And I would say to this phrase to them, and it used to make them mad, but then they understood it. I said, listen, if you need me to plan all those things for you, what you need is a life. Because I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I'm not saying we wouldn't do fun things. We would. We had a blast. But it's the, it's the primary understanding of what we're trying to do here. The job of our Rev Kids staff and our Rev Student staff is not to entertain or babysit your kids. We don't do that. It's for them to know Jesus and have life. I'm not saying we won't have fun. I'm not saying it won't be enjoyable. We want them to have a good experience here. But it's about life. Why? Because in him was life. And that's the point of church. Because church is not somewhere we go. It's, it's who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And Christ is our head. And from him flows life. And so in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And this, this word here, life, it doesn't mean just physical life. It means the source of all things good. So if you want life in 2021, you need Jesus. It's not going to come from a job. It's going to come from Jesus. It's not going to come from a dude named John. And what I meant by that was if you're dating a dude named John and and thinking he's going to give you life. (laughs) uh, Ladies, listen to me. If you think a man's going to give you life, what you need is a life. If you think a woman is going to give it to you, and I'm not saying men and women aren't good. I'm not saying marriage isn't right and awesome. What I'm saying is they're not the source of all happiness. They can't be. Neither can your kids. 
Neither can your job. As awesome as nature is, neither can it. So you need more spiritual life than just hugging a tree. You need Jesus. You need to abide in Jesus. Why? Because in him was life. Now, real quick. And the life was the light of men. That's mankind, humans. Because here's what he says. It shines in the darkness. See, what's interesting, again, going back to Genesis 1, says the earth was formless and void in darkness. And then the spirit hovers over the face of the deep. And then God said, what was the first thing God said? Let there be what? Light. Light can only come from life. But life produces light. Now think about it. 2020 was pretty dark, wasn't it? Because darkness is chaos. Darkness is formless and void. But when light shows up, we can see. We have direction now. We have purpose now. We know where we're going now. We're not stumbling anymore. And so Jesus is the thing behind all things. And so if you want direction and purpose and seeing and knowing if 2020 was so dark and so void and so directionless, you need light. You need to see. You need salvation. You need the spirit. And John says you can get all of that in him. Because his life was the light. And here's what's crazy. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now that word they're overcoming Greek it has two meanings, and it'll make sense to you when I give you a relevant English word. The word there is to grasp, to grasp. Now, in English, we can use that word grasp two ways. Grasp is when we hold on to something, we grab it. But grasp also in an understanding. Like, oh, that was hard to grasp. It means I didn't understand that. And twofold here. A promise and a warning. When Jesus shows up, when you got Jesus in your boat, doesn't matter how big the storms are, the darkness can't grab you. So if you are in Jesus and you have life and you have light, the darkness can't grab you, can't snatch you, can't hold you. Because check this. When light shows up, does darkness have a choice? No. Let me say it to you like this. When you flip on the light switch, does the darkness be, does, I mean, it wouldn't speak back to you if it did. We need to talk. But does the darkness say, get out of here, light? No. Because what is darkness? It is simply the absence of light. So when light shows up, darkness is gone. 
So here's the good news, church. No matter how dark it got in 2020, no matter how dark it gets in 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, you want me to keep going? 2025? You got Jesus, you win. The darkness cannot grab you, cannot hold you. And it's not, it's not even a fight. Like, again, the whole idea of yin yang and like darkness and light, and that's the whole concept. It's like, oh, light wins and then darkness wins. No, not with God. And then this is why I want you to understand the devil is not in hell with the pitchfork and horns like, come on down. No, the devil is not ruling in hell. You need to know that. The devil is being punished in hell. He's not in charge. It's not his domain. It is God's domain of punishment for those who don't believe. So God is not in some epic battle with darkness. And he's like, man, we took a blow yesterday, but tomorrow we're going to get it. God's not concerned. He's not worried. He's not fretting. He's not losing the battle or the war or the battle, but going to win the war in the sense that like God is like, man, Satan and his demons really licked us today. No, there is no epic yin, yang, lightness, dark. It's not even a contest. It's NFL players against toddlers. You say, well, why is there darkness? I can't answer all those cosmological questions for you. But what I can say to you is this. The one reason is God allows darkness because it glorifies the light. Because when the light shows up, we now know the difference. Which is the second part, not just of the promise, but of the warning. Because the word grasp doesn't only mean to hold, it means to understand. So John says the light is shining, but the darkness doesn't understand it. You're going to see this in the prologue, which is the first 18 verses of John. We'll get into it in the next few weeks. The light shows up and people didn't perceive it. People didn't see it. They were Darkness is simply in a, a thought process of blindness. So the warning to you is this. See the light. Do you see it? See the light. Do you understand it? Do you comprehend it? And maybe God allowed it to get dark so that when the light showed up, you could see it and, and no longer be confused about the source of life in your life. It's Jesus. So as we wrap up these first five verses, very simply, the question is, do you believe Jesus? And do you have life? Because if you don't believe Jesus, you don't have life. And having life is the defining characteristic of believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in the exact same way that you created the world, that out of darkness, you said, let there be light. And then you brought order and form and life. In the same way, that's how we can be saved. 
in the darkness and confusion of our day, in the darkness of sin and chaos around us, formlessness, void, you can say to us, let there be light and open our eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is. He is God. And he gave his life for us. Because as John 3.16 says, you so loved the darkness, those in the world that you gave your son so that we might have life. So God, I pray right now for anybody who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a sense of purpose, direction, and life, I pray right now you would open their eyes to see the truth of him and save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you want to trust Jesus, if God has opened your eyes to see the truth about who he is, then now in faith you can respond and repent and be saved. So you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. You sent your son in my place for my sin. I am trusting in Jesus alone to save me. Give me life in him. Forgive me. Now, if that was you, you're in one of our locations, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see you? We just have a gift we want to give you. Thank you. In a moment, whether you're watching online or in person, you'll have an opportunity to text us your information. Let us know that you trusted Jesus. And then for those of us who have trusted Jesus already, remember the gospel of John was given to us to sustain belief. And so if 2020 was pretty dark for you, you don't need to get saved again. You just need to trust him deeper. And I'm praying that the gospel of John would reawaken your faith, would build your faith, would strengthen your faith. That no matter how dark it gets, light always wins. So keep trusting him. Father, would you build our faith, build faith in us, and build faith through the preaching of your word, through the relationships in the community of people to bring us more life in Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.